Hello and welcome back to Security Insights, the podcast that takes a deeper look at today's most important issues in cybersecurity and beyond. I'm Stephen Pritchard, editor and presenter. Just how large is the IT security skills gap? And are we making progress to closing it? Estimates vary, but the shortfall between qualified workers and jobs ranges from 33,000 in the UK, according to the latest figures from DCMS, to anywhere up to 3 million people worldwide. Whichever way you look at it, it's a large number. And anecdotally, CISOs report that it remains hard to fill vacancies. If anything, since the pandemic, it's become harder. And a lack of qualified security practitioners is putting the brakes on important projects in both the public and the private sectors. What then can be done? Is the answer convincing people to retrain? We'll remember the Fatima ad campaign. Could the industry do more about retention and make cybersecurity a more attractive place to work? Certainly, there's a lot more that could be done around diversity and inclusion. And then there's the question of education. Are the right students taking the right courses? If not, why not? And how far back do we have to go in terms of encouraging youngsters to develop an interest in cybersecurity? And if the solution does lie in education, how do we patch the problem in the meantime? Over the next few weeks, Security Insights will attempt to answer at least some of these questions. To start off the series, we spoke to Derek Mitchelson, former Director of National Digital and Chief Information Security Officer at NHS Scotland and now Global CIO and CISO at Checkpoint. I started by asking him if the skills shortage is indeed getting worse. Absolutely, it's getting worse. I'll, I'll bring into context what I did within the NHS, I think, as a, as a really good tangible example of that. Uh, I created a three-year cybersecurity program in the NHS, and that was the, the main outcome was to was to create a centre of excellence for Scotland, and to have that centre of excellence based uh, within Dundee, up in the north of Scotland, and to have that with a team of thirty cybersecurity experts that would produce that would do things like threat hunting, SOC analysts, that would concentrate on strategy policies, process, et cetera. And at the same time, we were hiring into these roles within the NHS. We were leaving, uh, we were losing individuals that had been in, in the NHS for nine months, 12 months, 18 months, et cetera. And they were just finding that uh, the, the marketplace was such that they were able to actually move very, very quickly and easily uh, into other jobs. Some, some jobs were, I would suggest, probably wider scope. Some jobs, I suggest, probably weren't as good as the jobs they had. Uh, within the public sector, obviously, we were constrained on salaries, but uh, it was it was becoming more and more difficult to replace people even at a junior level. So we, we were finding at the same time as we were hiring, we were actually losing the same numbers. So getting to even 30 within that cybersecurity team for the NHS in Scotland was, uh, was nigh on impossible. And uh, part of that strategy was to try and leverage more partnership working with uh, with industry. But uh, it's not just the same in the NHS, it's the same all over when I speak to my peers across private and public sector. They're all doing exactly the same thing. People are deciding it's a really good time to move on for whatever reason. I was going to ask, is that a more widely seen problem? So the, the particular issues in the public sector and the NHS has certainly been a high pressure working environment in the last couple of years. But are we seeing more broadly that 
everyone is struggling because they're all looking in the same pool for the same talent. Yes, I, I, absolutely that is the case. Um, within the security industry that I work at the moment, we're seeing we're seeing a lot of staff moving from one security uh, organisation to another one. That's I've not seen anything like that before and this is on a, on a weekly and a monthly basis you're seeing people moving across from checkpoint to other organizations from other organizations to checkpoint it's a it's a cycle that's just uh, that's just constant at the moment so yes it's happening and it's happening within the private sector public sector obviously has these nuances with uh, the, the work the the type of technologies the salaries etc perhaps that's a slightly different space but within within the private sector I have never seen anything like this with the number of staff that are moving. And it's not even just uh, it's not even just security staff. It's uh, you know staff that uh, are account managers, staff that are actually looking after uh, looking after customers, etc. The industry just seems to be in turmoil at the moment. Are there any particular subsets of skills that are in demand or in shortage? Anything around cybersecurity skills that's got has got a degree of uh, technical knowledge, expertise, particularly around uh, cloud network security. These sort of spaces. And what we're actually finding is that uh, they're starting to demand a much higher salary to come into organisations. So the I, I don't think it's sustainable, but the, the salaries are are breaking all grounds. And that's for people with uh, very, li- very limited experience as well. You're hiring people with maybe one to three years experience for where you'd be paying salaries for somebody who's five to seven years experience a couple of years ago. So that's that's making such a big difference. But uh, yes, getting, getting staff in experience is proving exceptionally difficult at the moment because uh, in, in many cases, they've been able to actually name their salary to go and work at organisations. What impact is that having on businesses, your customers now, the organisations of the type you were working at previously? It's, the first thing I would say is it's it's having an immediate impact on the resilience of these organisations. There's no doubt about that, that uh, they're walking away with experience on the systems, on the, the monitoring, on the setup, the configurations. And uh, you don't just replace that overnight. You need to then bring people in, upskill them, often over a 12 to 18 month period. And then of course what's happening over that is that a lot of these, when they get to the 18 month period, are then starting to look to, to move on themselves. So definitely, I, I suspect that this is actually having a knock-on effect with the number of uh, the number of uh, compromises we're having at the moment with organisations. Uh, you know, any of these threat actors, there are a lot of times where there's uh, times of conflict, times where there's instability. There's definitely instability in the cyber marketplace at the moment, and uh, that's definitely what we're seeing. So firstly, it's definitely to do with business continuity and resilience of these organisations. But as I say, it's also to do with things like innovation. If, when organisations are trying to use cyber security to drive forward Forward, they're, they're moved to the cloud or some of the new applications are trying to they're trying to work. I was previously in oil and gas and we we use cybersecurity as a, a differentiator very much when we were looking to talk to customers about why they should be doing work with us and not a competitor. That's difficult when you don't have the cybersecurity team that are sitting behind you that are actually making sure that your your data, the customer data, the the, the uh, the APIs that you're developing are all absolutely safe to use and safe to consume. And that's what we're finding at, at the moment. So it's anything that's to do with skilled labour is very difficult in cybersecurity. There's still some graduate talent, and I think we should be doing much more with that. But uh, that does take a bit of time to actually bring in to nurture and to get up to speed. Does the pressure on salaries and the likelihood that people will move around uh, in pursuit of better opportunities because those opportunities are out there, does that deter 
organizations from investing in cybersecurity people? And they think, oh, you know, I can lose them after 18 months. Why spend the money? I don't think in the private sector it is. I think the private sector is just going on the basis of the, the risk that people are joining and then they're actually moving on. Within the public sector, I think that's totally different. The, the problem is they, they are using the public sector as starting jobs to get into to get into the bottom of the ladder, and then very quickly to work themselves up. So there's definitely a differentiation there between uh, the pro- public sector and the private sector. And uh, the public sector, having just left there, I feel very sorry for because uh, they're hemorrhaging uh, good technical staff at the moment, and that's what we're seeing. I think in the private sector, they're just having to accept that uh, people are coming in, people are demanding. Uh, I think huge salaries, much bigger than uh, than I think we should be getting. And if they don't get them, then someone else is prepared to take a gamble and offer them that. So I think the private sector is just having to suck that one up. We do, though, see various headline numbers being quoted about the size of the skills shortage. How do we deal with that? So let's look at how individual organisations can deal with that first. What can they do to improve their chances of employing the right people, bringing the right people in to take on these jobs? I think what they need to do is they, they need to be working closer with their human resources teams, for one. That's what I did in the NHS, to, to make sure that they they understood what my cyber strategy was in the cyber programme for NHS Scotland, so that uh, they were able to help me attract the best talent that I could get and I could afford in order to do that. So, first of all, realising it's not just an issue for the CIO or the CISO, it's, it's an issue for everyone in that organisation to to do that and to support that. Secondly, what I would suggest is that there, there also needs to be realisation around prioritising what, which roles need to be done within organisations and which roles you can reach out to organisations like Checkpoint, perhaps around MDR or XDR, whereby services can be provided to, to an element uh, locally and then they can actually look to augment services from private sector organisations as well. I just think where we are in the marketplace, it's going to be very difficult to actually say we're going to be able to afford to have the 30, 40, 50 really good engineers within your cybersecurity team. It's uh, There's going to be far too much stability. I think you need to spread some of that risk and spread the risk by doing a bit more with uh, with security partners is what I would suspect, suspect. However, the risk on there is then the security partners themselves need to make sure they've got a stable base because when I was in the NHS, there was nothing worse than having some of the support organisations you work with that suddenly you found that uh, the one or two individuals that knew a particular piece of technology had actually left and gone on themselves. So you were you were in a similar situation actually, you know, whereby relying on third parties and and the third parties needed to retain talent. So it's difficult in both cases, to be honest. And could organisations do more, perhaps, to move people into cybersecurity roles from other positions within the business? I absolutely think it's not just from within other areas in the business. I think we're too insular in the way we're thinking about cybersecurity. In the NHS, obviously, because we weren't able to compete with the, the fintech sector in Edinburgh. We were, we were, we were looking out to see about uh, school leavers coming in, coming in as apprentices. I was looking at graduates from, from other type of courses, things like physics, uh, things that may have some sort of mathematical aspects to it, rather than necessarily the, the typical computers or cybersecurity degrees. I, I just think we need to be looking much wider. I think we need to be, I think we need to be talking, this is great podcast, I think we need to be talking much more about how great it is to work in this sector. Cybersecurity is one of the, the upcoming places to be working, I think, at the moment. It's, it can take you in a huge number of directions, massive organisations, or you can stay niche 
within small organisations. And I just think we need to be talking much more around that. And that starts with uh, starts with schooling. And I'll give you an example around that, uh, Stephen. My my daughter uh, is actually doing uh, year two studying cybersecurity at Napier, Napier University. And it was fairly obvious to me from a young age that she was going to be a scientist of some sort. She was very good at maths and she liked the typical physics, chemistry. And that was where she excelled. But at no point did anyone in the school talk about her going into a digital background or a security background. The, the conversation with a straight-A student was about being a lawyer or about being uh, an accountant or about potentially going into to medicine. There was no conversations at all around there's, there's a digital security element that uh, they should be looking to do. These conversations need to be happening, happening at a much younger younger age as well. So is it for, is it for organisations like Checkpoint to get into schools to make sure that uh, we're speaking to students at an early, early age, potentially primary school? in primary six, primary seven up in Scotland, or in secondary school, first year, second year, going along to career fairs to talk about what we do, to talk about this is the right thing. Obviously, we need to be educating teachers as well. So I, th I think there's a whole thing, but uh, I, I definitely think at times we're, we're too insular. And one thing I don't like is when I see these adverts that say, you know, experience of this is necessary, experience of sec DevOps, you must have uh, a SISM or a CISP qualification. You know, I, I think we're tying ourselves too down. We should be looking to get good people with, I think, the good, the good work ethic, somebody that's keen to learn. That's what I've always looked for and maybe move away from saying it's got to be around experience and qualifications. It's an interesting observation there as well about how careers are positioned to young people because if we look at that in the round, there is still something of a negative attitude towards STEM topics in the UK and that is something potentially that we need to address in order to raise the number of people coming into computer science, into cybersecurity and other related fields. The next discovery in cybersecurity might not come from somebody working purely within that sector. It might come from the left field. It might come, as you said, from physics or somewhere else. Absolutely. I found when when my daughter was picking her subjects to study what they call the National Fives up in Scotland. And so that's what they do in, in fourth year in the high school. But... Uh, the computers is not computer science is not one of these courses that is down there as the courses to do. It's very much pushed to say it's the maths, English, it's physics, it's chemistry, and uh, finding that Carrie was in a computer science class and she was she was one of a few females in in a male oriented class, and that was the way the school had geared up that class. Although it did have a female computer science teacher who I think helped to actually inspire Carrie that this was a career that uh, perhaps she wanted to go into, but. Uh, Schools, school and education need to have a look at this. They need to make sure that uh, anything STEM related is going to be a great career aspect, no matter no matter if you're male, female, or or whatever orientation you are. And I think that, I think they're not doing a good job in that. And they need to really be focused in on that because by the time they get to fo time they get fifth year or sixth year at that point, it's often too late. Yes, you can pivot from a college course or a university course into something different, but uh, these conversations have got to be happening at a much younger age. And teachers themselves, I think, have got to be much bolder and braver to talk about STEM careers as something that uh, particular females want to do. We need much more diversity within cybersecurity, and we just don't see enough of it. Uh, so, yeah, I've got huge concerns around what we see coming out of what we see coming out of education. A lot of good conversations around STEM. My daughter's actually a STEM ambassador now at Napier University, so she speaks about it herself. But uh, I think we need to do an awful lot more work in order to bridge that gap. Diversity of recruitment in order to provide diversity of thinking. I think that's absolutely critical for the future of the industry. But if I was going to put you on the spot, and, and I will, what 
about dividing up the priorities for the industry, so not particularly necessarily for, for any one firm, but into the short, medium and longer term objectives. What do we need to do to fix this skills shortage problem now? And where should we be placing our investments to ensure that we don't simply end up with another skills crisis in three, five, ten years time? I think firstly, what we need to be doing is we it's, it's it's around getting the strategy right, and that was what I tried to do in the NHS. Difficult to hire, but we did have the right strategy. The strategy in the NHS that I put forward was to create a centre of excellence around everything cyber, and to base that actually down uh, in one of the buildings at Aberdeen University in Dundee. The idea the idea about that was that we were looking to build cybersecurity into. Aberté's fourth year of their degree course, so they would actually come and get experience working within the NHS, and perhaps they would actually start to build some of the NHS challenges and problems into their degree course. So they actually came out with things that are relevant. Checkpoint is doing exactly the same thing with their Secure Academy that's just launched down at Dundee and Angus College, which is starting to build real-life practical skills that actually work within the workplace and are relevant so that when people come out of these college courses they can actually walk into walk into jobs across any any sector in uh, in cyber security and that's what we need to be doing so first of all i think it's a, it's a vision and it's a strategy piece to do that secondly as i said earlier it's being less siloed and realizing that uh, people coming from diverse backgrounds from studies that aren't just cyber security or computing backgrounds have got an awful lot to offer when I manage a team, I much prefer to have a voice of dissent, a voice in the room that's actually saying, well, I don't agree with the five males that are saying this is the right thing to do. This is how I would tackle it. That's the sort of voices we need to have in cybersecurity. And they don't always come from the stereotypical uh, types that we're actually hiring. I think we need to be looking much more to youngsters. Youngsters bring that innovation in. You know, we don't necessarily need to wait till they've been through college and university. We need to be doing much more with uh, apprentices, bringing people in from school, giving them access to work experience within organisations. And, and then lastly, what I would say, and I said this earlier as well, Stephen, we need to be leaning much more on partnering with the organisations such as Checkpoint that can take some of the strain off that. And that's what I said within the NHS as well. Let's focus on the things for us that are absolutely strategic, the priority areas for the NHS, and maybe the repetitive things, the things that uh, the things that won't keep won't, won't keep people at the NHS. Maybe pass these off to organisations so they can do that uh, that repetitive stuff that's maybe not as innovative, that's maybe not as exciting, and make sure that we keep these priority, strategic, exciting initiatives for the staff that are internal. And I think we can probably hold on to them a bit better that way. Can we make the industry more approachable? So there's a lot of talk again about accessibility, but the idea that it's actually quite an intimidating place to work, uh, as in it's difficult. It requires lots of maths. Everyone talks about these skills. Not everyone thinks they have those skills. Of course, they may have them and not have access to those skills during their formal education. But how do we make it so that it's something that people will consider who might not otherwise have done so? I think we need to just, first of all, I would make sure that... Uh, people realise that they don't just need to come in as scientists or mathematicians or experts in order to succeed in cybersecurity. There's a whole lot of different facets that uh, don't rely on math skills or physics skills that you can come in. Now, we were very successful at that in the NHS. We, 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 we had a very diverse team 
that uh, that uh, weren't just all degree students. We got people in that were uh, that were straight from school, and we got apprentices. In many ways, that was where I saw this the success of what we delivered within the NHS. But again, I think it's it's thinking differently. It's, it's such a male-oriented thing, cybersecurity at the moment. And uh, I think we need to be talking about it in different terms, making sure people understand it's uh, it's it's a strategic uh, part of the workforce now that actually helps to drive forward business success, business transformation. And that's a language I like to speak about. I tend not to like to speak about the cybersecurity aspects. They're, they're a given, but it's actually speaking about how this actually helps to drive forward and make our organisations succeed, make them different. And that's the conversations that we need to have. Take it away from the, the systemic uh, threat hunting uh, type of things, working SOC analysts. I think these things are absolutely great. You can work up to these roles, but uh, I'd be keen to bring people in just to actually get them started on things like basic network security, cloud security, some of the things that they actually, some of the things they actually do and consume within their real life. And uh, you don't need qualifications to bring them in to get started with that. The stuff we're doing in Dundee and Angus College shows that if you've got a good, I think if you've got a good training course that people can follow that starts off quite basic and builds up, then it's very, very quick and easy to see if that's something that people want to do. And I think that's what we need to be doing, certainly a lot differently from what we're doing at the moment. So you're now on the vendor side of the fence and a lot of the vendors are talking about automation, AI, machine learning as a way to plug the security gap because well, we haven't got the people. Let's ask the machines to do it for us. Is that ever going to be an effective solution? I think it's effective at the moment, to be honest. I think it runs in partnership with having the right cyber talent sitting within an organisation. Certainly, where I've where I've worked before in the NHS and oil and gas, we there was no way we could hire enough people to actually do the level of looking at uh, alerting. So that's in the source space, the level of threat hunting, the level of analytics that you need in order to actually understand what you're doing. So I think I think for several years, machine learning analytics has played into that space. I'm delighted to see it's getting much more much more relevant. It's maturing certainly really quite quickly. And I think the technologies, the technologies that are out there from various organizations, I think will help you do it. But however, that machine learning and AI still needs to learn. So you're still going to need to have the cyber analysts that are working alongside it. I'm not convinced I'll quickly get to a point where it's, I wouldn't have a team of cyber experts. We'd just have a CISO and we'd have a lot of bots that sit underneath the CISO feeding and doing everything and watering. I still think you're going to need a level of team that are sitting there to actually check on what the results are. For example, if you're looking at the IoT space, there's a lot of great technology that could uh, discover IoT within a workplace, could actually configure firewalls using automation in order to do that. But uh, at the moment, I'm, I'm in a place where I prefer that the IoT is discovering, the IoT is making recommendations, saying, this is how I would recommend you make the firewall changes. This is a rule I would like to apply. And individuals that are sitting there saying, do you know what, that makes absolute sense. Get a level of confidence, and then you can start to switch that automation on. So it's, it's going in a great direction, and it definitely will help. It's, it's where we need to be as an industry, but uh, we do need to make sure we've got good people that are sitting and feeding and watering it as well. So the two parts definitely need to work together. Absolutely. I think it's I think it's what we need to be. So we definitely need to look at the, the skills shortage at the moment and just not rely on the technology and the automation. It goes hand in hand. I don't think I don't think one works. I think you need both at the moment with where we are as an industry. 
So if there was one thing then, if I could ask you for one suggestion or recommendation or for you to call for one thing to be done by industry, by academia, by the education system, uh, and indeed potentially by government as well, is the one area that you would like to focus on to help narrow that skills gap down? I think we need to take a bit of pain at the moment. I think that's where we are as an industry. And there needs to be a huge focus on working alongside government and education. That's what we need to be realising. That uh, if we do that, we can start to we can start to see results within, I think, three, four, five years. If we were really able to focus down on that, and so I think as an industry, we need to take a pain for a few years in order to do that. But uh, if we come about it the different way around, looking at it from an industry down, I think we're always going to have shortages. We need to make. STEM, cybersecurity, computers, something that's really sexy for school kids to want to do and talk about wanting to do it. And that's what we need to do. So that means as an industry, we need to be as an industry providing opportunities for work experience. So I think that's the bit that goes in hand in hand. If industry can make much more in the way of educational training into schools, into colleges like Checkpoints done with the Secure Academy, that's a great way of doing it. But we still need the inspirational teachers that are talking to their kids and persuading them to get into this career because it's a great career to get into once you get into it. Just unfortunately, there's a lot of people I don't think really know about it. So as an industry, we need to be much more out there. I think so. I think we all need to be out there. We need to see much more diverse speakers. We need to be more open about it. We need to do a far better job at lobbying the governments as well. I do lobby across still into Scottish government, given that uh, I was highly working in there within the NHS. I'm I'm just joining their, the National Cyber Advisory Board for the Scottish government. And that's one thing that I'm really keen to start to try and push down to make sure that... Uh, I, I can go into schools myself within Checkpoint, go into colleges and talk about this as being a great thing to get in and make sure that we get the backing from governments and from education to do that, Just not just from Checkpoint. We need that done from all the security uh, organisations across the UK. That's what we need to be doing, working hand in hand, not competing against each other. But then if we come back to the position of the CISO, you're saying that perhaps we need to just buckle in, prepare for a few more years of a relatively rough ride, and then some of these initiatives will start to come together and provide fresh talent. At the moment we've got the moment we've got a problem and the problem's not solvable immediately. We can continue to hire. Staff will continue to leave and go and look for other opportunities. COVID's shown them that's exactly the world we're in at the moment, working remotely, having a choice as to where you want to work rather than getting up and doing a commute in and saying, this is where I have to work. There's now a choice in the marketplace. So we need to realise that. And I think we need to make sure our cyber strategies are different and cyber strategies have got this right mix of the priority roles and working with third parties that can come in and augment that. And then, as I say, take a bit of pain at the moment because every CISO I speak to is saying the same thing around uh, cyber uh, capacity. It's a huge challenge for everyone. It's not going to go away in the short term. We need to... Sticky plaster isn't going to fix it, Stephen. We need to be getting down into education to make sure we're starting to get uh, the right number of the right number of uh, cyber experts coming up. If you look at some other industries, some other industries have already done that. For example, things like dentistry, where years ago there was there was shortages years and years ago, and now now there's 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 a lot of dentists around. It's a well-paid place to be in, and I think it's we just need to look at other industries as to what they've done and actually tackle it in a similar way. And do you think CISOs have the appetite to do that? I think some CISOs do. I think some CISOs still get down into the weeds of things like the, the DevSecOps and, and the coding, etc. I think CISOs need to start pivoting to be much more strategic business advisors 
and to rely upon CIOs, CTOs, probably to actually operate a lot of the security, perhaps start to operate security with uh, with non-security. So it could be more networking engineers or it could be more developers. But uh, I think there's that pivot and the CISOs need to be focused much more on the strategic pieces to, as to what the three to five year plan looks like with uh, the capacity and uh, structure of the team being right up there as a number one priority. Derek Mitchelson on the need for CISOs to take a more strategic view of the challenges in information security and how bringing in the right people and developing the right skills is central to their role. That though is all for this episode of Security Insights, but our investigation into the cybersecurity skills shortage will continue with our next programme in two weeks' time. We hope you can join us then. Meanwhile, you can catch up on past programmes on our website, securityinsights.co.uk, and of course on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon and Spotify. Thanks again for listening. Security Insights is written and presented by Stephen Pritchard and is produced by ENS Media, www.ensmedia.co.uk. Security Insights.